John McCracken, news editor for Hotel News Now, here with Cristiano Rinaldi, president of Capella Hotel Group. So, Cristiano, um, I feel like every day when I open up my inbox, I have something about some new project or some update for what Capella is doing. Could you just walk me through all the interesting and varied things that Capella is up to right now as one of the really cool operators in the luxury hotel space? Thank you, Sean. Yes, I mean, um, you, you should share some of this email with me, so we'll also see <laughs> what are we doing that is so cool. Uh, no, we, we've been keeping busy. We had a great summer uh, overall where both of our brands have been widely recognized, so we're very proud. But we've been keeping busy, you know, from a Capella point of view, we're working on multiple projects. Uh, we enter in different new markets. We're currently working on the upcoming opening of our Capella di Taipei, uh, followed by our first Urban Patina, our second brand, our lifestyle brand, which will open in Osaka in Japan. And then right after, just a few months later, we enter in the wonderful city of Kyoto, uh, with Capella Kyoto, which uh, is a property like all the others that we're very excited about. Uh, we continuously looking at developing, growing. Uh, we will, uh, our presence in Asia will grow over the next few years. So we've been very active, but we're also excited because we've seen finally, uh, we've seen growth in Middle East and soon in Europe. So yes, we've been keeping busy. Uh, but most importantly, we've been focusing on what we do best, which is keep creating wonderful experiences uh, mm -hmm. for our guests, which is really what we love doing. Mm -hmm. So you guys have, Capella's been around for what, a little bit over 20 years now, correct? Well, it depends what phase of it you look yeah, at it. Yeah. But I would say if you take Capella in all, yes, it will be 21 years. Uh, mm -hmm. Capella was originally founded in 2002. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at 21 years, but... I would have to say that Capella right now is certainly different than maybe what Capella used to be originally besides a change of ownership. We're now a Singapore-based organization mm -hmm. company, and we certainly have a strong presence in Asia, and as I mentioned be, uh, before, growing also Middle East in Europe, opposite to maybe the first version of, of Capella that was more uh, had a bigger presence in the U.S. and with mm -hmm. few flags in Europe. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it was a normal transition, and uh, we're very, uh, very happy where we are now, and we're really looking at the future positively. Mm -hmm. So is there something about the growth trajectory, trajectory you guys have taken across Asia-Pacific that gives you confidence to move into other regions now, or you just feel like now's the time to get a foothold in the Middle East or Europe? What's, what's driving the thinking there? No, I think we started, I mean, if we look at, we go back to, not long ago, 2018, uh, Capella really was looking at three properties in Asia. Mm -hmm. And uh, since then, we now have seven Capella and one Patina. Uh, we just felt as organization growing, we've reached a certain presence, maturity within mm -hmm. the market. And we felt that entering nearby markets like for instance the middle east but i think what's critical is also that we're doing that gradually mm -hmm. uh, we're taking our time so even though we're looking at uh, um, very encouraging growth over the next few years we entering we really uh, adding one or two flags every year so the way we design and curate 
and program hotel is very meticulous it's very detailed mm-hmm. and we don't want to lose that which is one of our key qualities and so we really take our time and it starts from the planning of the spaces to the design process to the operational sides of really curating every single experience and then our guests will get to uh, try and went on property so we we have an encouraging pipeline but most importantly we want to make sure that every hotel that we open under our brand remains consistent with what we've been uh, creating so far mm-hmm. and so even entering different continents we're doing it gradually and we're taking our time we want to understand the market it's very important for us to connect with the destination and its culture and heritage and so we take a long time to make sure that we study the market before we enter them yeah, I imagine the space you guys work in. I mean, it's not just luxury. It's, you know, really high-end luxury. So I imagine that you can't really cut corners when you're um, when you're developing and looking to move into a new market. No, no, but I think I think it's um, uh, we always we always position ourselves in to a degree in a niche of experiential travel, uh, mm-hmm. to be very honest. And I think uh, we've been really uh, we crafted the art of creating these experiences way before pandemic. Mm-hmm. This is something that Capella has always done, and yeah. I think it's always done uh, rather successfully. What happened is, to a degree, what uh, how the traveler uh, trends and, and have changed post-pandemic is really now uh, aligned with what Capella represents, which is the, this need of seeking emotional connection mm-hmm. to the location, to the property, to the destination, and those experiences that goes above and beyond the traditional luxury stay. Yeah. So we remain very committed to create beautiful uh, properties where we really look and, uh, and work around every detail. But our main focus remain actually the experience that we create. And uh, every hotel we open, you will see it's to us, it's really about the guests connecting with the culture of the location. It mm-hmm. is Tufu Bay in China, seen in Australia, a beautiful experience with what our meditation classes with a monk that we do in Bangkok. Mm-hmm. For us, it's critical that you take that back uh, with you because ultimately those are the memories that will stay with you forever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I, I am wondering, it's obviously you guys, Capella's approach to, to luxury is, like you said, been evolving and evolving over, over the course of years. And I'm wondering how how it might have changed over the last few years or whether since you guys take such a, you know, uh, guest centric approach and an experience centric approach, whether whether that sort of luxury traveler has changed since, you know, the pandemic or or even before that. I think we've seen, obviously, I think the travel travel was changing independently. Mm -hmm. I think what the pandemic has done is accelerate the process. Yeah, uh, it's it's almost like, to a degree, I think uh, through social media, digital age, there was a need uh, and a demand for experiences. They were going above and beyond the usual luxury stay. What the, what the pandemic has done for all luxury operators, ultra luxury operators, is really accelerated the process. Where uh, first with the revenge travel, which is a term that I never really loved, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's very <laughs> it's just, aggressive. It just doesn't sound right. You know, yeah. you, when you're traveling and you're having a beautiful ultra-luxury experience, there's something about revenge that doesn't go with it. Yeah, you're um, not feeling angry in that moment, yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. You shouldn't be, at least. Uh, and then and then following with the idea of having longer stay, because if we, I also look a little bit at the patterns of our guests, 
we've seen longer staying. We've seen longer staying in the destination. We've seen a need to almost, uh, you know, convert work and play into one. So, mm -hmm. and and I think what that's also what the pandemic has brought us the the awareness. And, and, you know, of being able to work without being in a physical space, right? And so that really allowed our guests to re realize that they could stay longer, they could enjoy the destination, but without completely unplugging from the day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. So um, jumping back to where you guys are the most established right now, obviously you guys have a, a bigger presence in Asia-Pacific. Um, I'm just wondering what you're seeing in terms of travel trends around the region and whether obviously you guys seek out a pretty high-end traveler so they're probably a little more resistant to any sort of economic issues or or um just the the regular flow of 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 human traffic might be a little bit different for your guests but i'm just wondering what you're seeing across the region and whether how hopeful or concerned you might be well i think i think with asia we need to keep in mind that uh, overall the, the continent has reopened much later compared to, to the US and Europe. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, uh, the flight capacity is still at 70%, mm -hmm. which is putting a lot of pressure on flight rates. So we're not seeing still the same level of travel of 2019. Mm -hmm. Although, as you said, you know, the, the uh, affluent traveler, it's resilient. And it, it was actually the first one traveling as soon as yeah. some of the country reopened. Those are the kind of uh, guests that will first visit you. But we see uh, we've seen encouraging sign. For instance, if I look at overall the the how we're tracking to the red part of 2019, now the market is just six percent behind, which is an and this you need to keep in mind that realistically Japan hasn't fully recovered. I don't mm -hmm. think we have seen and experienced the, the Japanese travel level that we had in 2019. Mm -hmm. And China has really been reopening since mid this year. So there's a lot of the uh, Chinese and Japanese traveler that has not come out yet. But from a Capella point of view, I can tell you that our properties are already 40% ahead of same time in 2019 mm -hmm. on those comparable property we operating, which to me is an indication to what you were just saying, our, the, our, the affluent traveler as is the first one that really experienced and went uh, above and look for and seek for luxury experiences and seek for that break from what has been obviously a very trying uh, period for all of us. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and I feel like it's not just the segment that you guys work in, right? Like you're, you're pretty well established as being a high end operator and, um, you know, I like I mentioned, I, I regularly get all the press releases about you guys, including a lot about, you know, how your properties are ranking high on all the best of lists. So I'm just wondering what what goes into that? Um, what what how meaningful is that to what you do? And, and what do you do to get to that point? Well, I, I would love to say that there is a secret sauce yeah. <laughs> that we apply and uh, so because mostly because then it means that I will be able to reproduce that every year. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but the reality is that we have been, uh, I'll take for instance, some of the awards that we received this year. If I look back, uh, you know, in 2020, Capello Bud Bali was voted best hotel in the world uh, by Travel and Leisure. Then following we had 
you know, the brand was recognized for two years in a row, the second best hotel brand in the world. So it was obviously a build up to get where we got this year when we were recognized the best hotel brand in the world. But the reality is that those awards are, uh, there is, to me, they're a validation and a statement of what we do on a daily basis. And it's, uh, and it's gratifying knowing that they're coming from editors, trade uh, experts, and guests, most of it all. Mm -hmm. um, they're incredibly motivating uh, and for our colleagues. Mm -hmm. uh, we're very proud because they are the one, you know, on day in, day out, that really create this experience, that they take care of our guests. And so being recognized at this level globally is something that makes us all very proud, and, and especially me, very proud of all our teams on the ground. Um, but ultimately, we haven't changed the way we do business. We're focusing mm -hmm. on the guest experience. We're focusing on creating unique, uh, connecting uh, experiences on the ground with the local culture, with the local heritage. We want people to take a little piece away of their destination back home. And, and I think what we've been collecting, which we're very proud of, is a validation, a validation of the fact that we are on the right, we go in the right direction. Uh, mm -hmm. To me, it's more like knowing that what we're doing, we need to continue doing and elevate because that's what our guests and the expert in the industry and the editors are telling us. Mm -hmm. So one thing, when I was just doing a little bit of research before this call, um, the one thing I noticed that I thought was kind of interesting about you specifically, Cristiano, is something that you see actually surprisingly rarely in the in the hotel industry, which is you were actually a GM before, you know, be leading this company. And it, it is always surprising to me how few people are follow that route, you know, become GMs and then lead a lead a brand or, or a, a company like this. So I'm wondering, you know, you guys have a you're a you're an international company and obviously you can do a lot of stuff, but it's a small enough portfolio that I'm sure you have pretty um, close relationships with your actual GMs. I wonder what what sort of advice you give to them and what you're what you tell them on a day to day basis to to keep them focused on what you want to focus on. Well, I think it's a, it's a blessing and a curse because I can tell you GMs don't want advice. Yeah. None of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I never come across any of them that says, please tell me more, sir. <laughs> uh, certainly not. But it's, I think, more than telling them, advising them, it's I can relate. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, uh, to me, is the most important thing because I have been on the other side and, you know, sometimes you are told or you're given direction by someone that maybe has never been on the ground, has never mm -hmm. really operating on the floor, has never been dealing with a guest complaint or, or being welcoming or dealing with the challenges that sometimes comes with operating an hotel. And uh, it's hard to take, you know, their direction for granted because they never really experienced it or lived it. Yeah. But to me, the most important is I can relate. At some point in my career, I was there. And so I understand the challenges. So I won't have an, an reasonable demands. I won't have unreasonable expectations because I know what it takes sometimes to go through what is could be a technical problem or a guest problem or simply being able to keep working in creating this type of, uh, you know, this type of staying. Because as you said, I mean, our guests obviously... I have very high expectation and we don't want to compromise on, on what they expect to find in one of our hotels. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm getting back to what you were saying earlier. I'd imagine having somebody in the leadership seat that intimately understands guest experience is a big deal, especially in the 
high-end luxury space you guys work versus, you know, if you were somebody who came from investment banking who would be, I'm sure, very smart but not have the same background. On that I, I have no doubts I would be far smarter than I could ever be. Uh, <laughs> and they'll probably be way... Uh, you know, more savvy with numbers and investment, but luxury, ultra luxury, luxury stay in hospitality. It's all about details. Mm -hmm. It's, and it's as simple as that. And I have spent endless hours with the team around room experiences, amenities, or the type of equipment. You, you, if you only knew the amount of hours that we spend around, the type of linen that we should use in the beds, yeah. the color, uh, the the uh, supply, the amenity supplier that it's all seaweed plant based, mm -hmm. all our uh, uh, any possible way we want to give back to the community because we are only successful because of the community. So our engagement from the Keliki village in the jungle of Bali uh, to the local village in Tufu Bay in Hainan uh, in China to the just to the neighborhood in Bangkok. So, and this is what really what we're focusing on because ultimately that's what the guests really notice. Mm -hmm. And ultimately our hero uh, really uh, position in, in, in Capella is a culturist and in Patina we call it the essentialist, which is this uh, sort of blend of guest service from desk uh, concierge that really takes you, takes your end from the moment you connect with the hotel all the way through your pre-arrival, your stay and your post-arrival. And all they do is basically make sure that they plan every step of your stay, make sure that they allow you to open every door of the destination that you normally wouldn't have access to. Mm -hmm. So, and that's ultimately, I operate this company the same way I used to operate uh, an hotel. So mm -hmm. to me, it's the same level of attention of details. And that's why I said it's critical that we grow slowly because um, growing fast comes with a price, with a, and and we yeah. know that we don't want to dilute all the hard work that we put into the into this group for the last 21 years. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me you're not going to launch a mid-scale brand then? Um, I, I absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, it's not, it's not something we're looking at. Yeah. And I firmly <laughs> believe that you need to do what you're good at. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. you need to know, do what you know. Mm -hmm, and uh, I don't think I, I don't think I will be and I speak personally obviously there will be something that uh, we will be as successful and we are very good in uh, in our segmentation mm -hmm. we do know what luxury ultra luxury is all about and we like to focus on that and really offer that kind of experience we leave opening of new brands to our uh, our colleagues out there yeah <laughs> good call so I'm going to put you on the spot then based on something you just said, since you were talking about how luxury is so detail-oriented. I'm wondering for you personally, when you walk into a yeah. hotel, whether it's one of your hotels or really any hotel, what's the smallest little detail that you get fixated on, whether good or bad? What's the thing that like that you're either super impressed with or just drives you crazy if they get it wrong? I, want, I really want to know what you get like, hyper-focused on. Oh my, uh, you know, this is a loaded question and I'll tell you why, because I believe uh, um, 
borderline OCD, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which means everything I touch, everything I do. You should see my desk right now. You can probably, you, you can draw geometric shapes on it, uh, how everything is perfectly in place. Um, my desk does not look like that. We're very different people. <laughs> no, no, I know. I, get, I, I don't know. I think it's a, a copy mechanism. <laughs> everything else that happens around me. So at least I'm in mm -hmm. control of my own desk. Mm -hmm. um, I It's a very good question. Um, to me, it's about details, and, and I actually I'll tell you now. Uh, today, well, I should probably not refer to today because otherwise it's easy to know where I was. Um, I went to a luxury hotel recently, and uh, I normally, yes, of course, I notice details, positioning of furniture. You can tell if something is off, mm -hmm. off its place. I wouldn't look at it as smell, uh, normally the scent in the lobby and the flower. But it's the first interaction with the first employee that normally sets the tone for me. And today, mm -hmm. I was uh, I was in this uh, beautiful luxury hotel, and I was going to meet someone, and I was stopped at the door inquiring where I was going. And fair enough, I mean, you can I have no issue with that. But the body language of the person that stopped me, he put his hands forward, almost like, "Where are you going?" And I'm yeah, about like to belong, enter a five-star yeah, hotel, yeah. right? It's it's not a bouncer of a club. Yeah. That set the tone for the rest of the experience that I had in the hotel. So the first interaction with the first colleague is critical and mm -hmm. doesn't have to be on site. It doesn't have to be on the hotel. Sometimes it can start simply with even an email interaction when, the, when you first approach the hotel. And that's why we spend so much time making sure that every detail from the moment that you connect with us, even if it's not in person, even if it's a digital communication, it's an email or it's a call, uh, has to be impeccable because that's when you set the tone and that's what that's the taste that will stay in your mouth mm -hmm. absolutely all right um cristiano i really appreciate you staying up late to have this conversation oh, what i is... mean i guess it's not that late for you but later than you should be having to work no no it's it, it's 9 30 so i, I we uh, it's uh nice and warm outside so mm -hmm. uh it's uh it's really it was nice and lovely talking to you and uh I just wonder, do you, have any, do you have any final words of wisdom before I let you go? Final words of wisdom. Oh, final words. Oh, you, this one you put me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I think, uh, I think patience. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we sometimes are too obsessively looking at the next uh, chapter of recovery, uh, the next uh, after recession, as the next, uh, what, what was in 2019, what was in 2023. Mm -hmm. I think we all obviously want to recover. We're running a business, but the reality is we are still, we're still healing our wounds. Yeah, and I think sure. we're looking at, we're looking at another, uh, you know, hopefully no more than a couple of years where we're really going to go back where we are. And, and sometimes the best thing is really be patient. Sometimes I feel like we are too obsessively measuring where we should be rather mm -hmm. than maybe focusing on heal and recover and build a, a sustainable and strong foundation for the future. Mm -hmm. That would be, be my, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call them words of wisdom, but, you know, my closing my closing feel, words. It feels very wise to me. But once again, I really appreciate the taking It's the, the accent. The <laughs> that helps that helps yes. all right well thanks well, a lot thank you so much sean thank you for uh thank you for taking the time it was lovely talking to you
Hi, I'm Isaac Colazzo, Vice President of Analytics at STR. Hi, and I'm Jan Feitak, National Director for Hospitality Analytics for the CoStar Group. Tune in to our new show, Tell Me More, Hospitality Data Podcast. It's a podcast on the global hotel industry, its current trends, what we're thinking about, and where the industry's going. And we like to have fun with the data, too. Find us on hotelnewsnow.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe today. Thank you for listening to the Hotel News Now podcast. This episode was recorded on October 12th, 2023 and edited by Sean McCracken. Go to hotelnewsnow.com for industry news every day.